Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. You've got the architect thing figured out. Now let's go build a better business so you can pursue your passion with everything you have. Everything you need is available now at Entree Architect. Subscribe today at entrearchitect.com slash join. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise, all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. This is episode 281. And if you are a fan of the podcast 99% Invisible, well, then you're going to love today's show. This week at Entree Architect Podcast, the life, death, and future of radio with podcast creator and 99% Invisible producer, Avery Truffleman. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our platform sponsors, Gusto, Easy Online Payroll, Benefits, and HR built for the modern small business. RCAT, the online resource delivering quality building material information, CAD details, BIM, specifications, and so much more. And FreshBooks, the cloud-based accounting software that makes running your small firm easy, fast, and secure. Spend less time on accounting and more time doing the work you love. Avery Truffleman, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. Uh, it's great having you here. Um, if you're a fan of the podcast 99% Invisible, then you know that voice pretty well. Avery Truffleman has been a staff producer at the Architecture Podcast 99% Invisible for going on six years now. 
She's also the host of the six-part spinoff series, Articles of Interest, which is about clothing and fashion, sort of the story behind the story of the fashion stories that we all know. Um, And she's currently the host of Curb's new podcast, Nice Try, which is about failed utopias. That's a podcast that I think many of our listeners are going to be very interested in, so they should go check that out. It's called Nice Try. Um, And if you attended the final keynote session at the AIA conference on architecture in Las Vegas this past June, well, then you had a great pleasure to watch Avery work live on stage as she and Roman Mars, together with a live musical trio, recorded a 99% invisible episode right there on the stage about Paul Revere Williams, the architect. So that was so interesting and so much fun to watch them work live on stage. That was absolutely my highlight of the entire conference. And, and it's what prompted my invitation to invite you here, Avery, uh, on the Entree Architect podcast. So I'm so happy that you, um, that you accepted my invitation and that you're here today. Oh, thank you. And I'm glad it was a highlight. That, I mean, the conference itself was so overwhelming. It was, it was really extraordinary. There were so many people there. Yeah, that, the conference is really, really big. And, and uh, I was so excited that, that Roman was going to be there. I think a lot of architects were excited that Roman was going to be there. But when, when I heard the voice on the stage, I'm looking around and wondering if it was recorded. And it wasn't <laughs> recorded. You were sitting there on a stool doing the show right there in front of us. And so it was, it was absolutely a highlight. It was exciting. Um, and that's how we, we got connected. I tweeted that it was a highlight and you responded to that. And, uh, and I introduced, you know, I, I invited you here. So uh, I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, let me, you know, every time I have a guest on, I ask their origin story. So I want to do that with you as well. I want to know more about you. We shared a little bit in the intro. Um, but I want to know like where Avery Truffleman started. So, so go back to where you discovered your passions for what you do today. What inspired you to do what you're doing? Share that story uh, of your journey to where you find yourself today. I mean, so it goes way, way back uh, when I was a, a twinkle in my, in my parents' eye. Uh, <laughs> they met working in radio. They met at WNYC. Oh, wow. Um, so I am a radio baby. And I always grew up with the radio on. Like to me, the radio is home. Even now, even even though I'm a millennial, in my kitchen I have a Tivoli radio, and I feel like I'm not really cooking unless I'm listening to um, KLW or KQED. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah, it's, so to me, it just feels like um, to me it feels like home. The feeling of uh, walking into a warm kitchen with the radio on. Yeah, and uh, and sometimes. And that's the thing that I love about radio that you don't get about podcasting. You know, you can just, um, it fills the room almost like a scent. Like you, you, you don't have to, um, listen in entirely from start to finish. It can kind of waft over you and you can grab onto parts that seem interesting yeah. and you can kind of let the rest go and it can, uh, fade in and out of the background in this really organic way. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love that people listen to sit down and or, you know, whatever, go on a walk or, or, or a run or wash their dishes and just listen very dedicatedly to podcasts from right. beginning to end. But um, I feel like only with radio can I really let my mind wander and my attention kind of come and go. So I always loved that. I was like, that was an early, early love. Um, and, and I always knew because of my parents that being a radio producer was a job and it wasn't, you know, like it's a thing people do. 
And uh, my parents weren't like, are you crazy? How will you eat? They're like, yeah, we, you know, <laughs> right. we did that for <laughs> we did that for over a decade. Like you can do it. They were, you know, they're like, you, you won't. There's no money in it, but you can do it because this was all before uh, podcasting. I mean, yeah. who could have predicted podcasting? So I was like a radio person and I worked at the school radio station at my at my college. And it was one of the reasons why I decided to go to the school I went to is because they had this really robust college radio that was also, it wasn't only students, it was also community members, it was also an NPR affiliate. It was semi-serious, and I learned a lot there. And then from there, I interned at NPR, uh, and then from there, I applied for jobs, and I didn't get any, and so I applied to a little podcast that I was a fan of called 99% Invisible, and I was only able to do it because my aunt lives in San Francisco. So, you know, they're paying me nothing, and I was able to just squat with my aunt and then the internship kept getting extended and extended, and then they hired me, and I've been there ever since. And it's funny, because when I talk about it all in hindsight, I'm like, well, clearly, this was like the path. But <laughs> I think at many parts, I, I almost, exactly, I almost gave up a number of times, like a number of times, um, because the radio world used to be, there used to be this pretty strict hierarchy. You know, you start at a regional station, you work your way up or you start as an intern at a radio station or at NPR, and then you move on to temp work. You know, there's like this way that you, 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 you get a foot in the door and then move into the industry, and it just didn't seem to be working out for me. And so every, I kept thinking, like, am I stupid? Should I go do something else? Um, it was really, really upsetting. And it's funny, just this morning, I was talking to um, a recent graduate who was going through exactly what I was going through, uh, but it was, it's just so different now. There's so many different podcasts. There's so many different reputable organizations that are doing audio. There are just so many different ways to start. And it felt like this very narrow hallway with a few doors and none of them were opening. So I'm very, 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 very grateful to Roman Mars for taking a chance on me because um, he, he gave me everything. Did you did you have any second thoughts about podcasting versus radio? I mean, if you grew up in radio and loved radio and that was your passion and that's what you wanted to do your whole life, and then you sort of found this podcast. It was early on in podcasting, so nobody really knew the explosion right. that podcasting would have. Was right. it sort of a sort of a you know a consolation prize, or was it you know something that you discovered and realized that this is the future? I didn't realize it was, you know, it felt because the question used to be, I'm sure you remember this, like, do you know what podcasts are? Right. It was like the yeah. question we would ask each other. And I remember it felt like this kind of punk thing. Like I, I was in a, I remember I was eating at a, um, at like a potluck in college and I found someone else who knew about 99% Invisible and we were right. like, oh my God, and just nerding out together. Yeah. So it felt like, um. No, I wasn't like, there's money in this. I was like, this is a weird indie band. And so it felt like I joined my favorite indie band. And then when I go on stage at a place like AIA and it's full of people, uh, you know, cheering for Roman, it's like, wow, what? It's so, it's been very strange to, that the bubble has, um, I don't want to call it a bubble, but the flower of podcasting has blossomed yeah. while it's been inside of it. So I haven't had like good uh, perspective on it, but I have a lot of really, you know, I, have, I, I miss radio sometimes, and I also don't. It's, I, have, I, have, I have complicated feelings about podcasting versus versus radio. Um, Go there. Yeah, absolutely. Because as you were talking about radio <laughs> and your and your early ideas of radio, and your and as a child growing up um, with that radio in the in the kitchen, 
Um, that was exactly what I wrote in my notes here, radio versus podcasting. Oh. So let's go there. Where mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. because it's very different. I haven't listened to terrestrial radio in years. I've turned really? it off. I know I don't listen to it at all anymore. Everything is podcasting because um, yeah. I, I I can um, I can you know curate what I want to listen to, and right. and I have several podcasts on a list that I listen to every week, and it fills up my time for audio. But but when you're right. describing radio in that radio in the kitchen and how it is more passive than, than podcasting that it's just on in the background and, and time, you know, sometimes you tune in because you, you hear something that you, that interests you. And, and there's sort of this, this, um, a spontaneity and this sort of, you're not going to, you not really know what you're going to get when you turn the radio on. It's always something new and something exactly. different. And so it's very different than podcasting. And so, um, you, you you have this passion for both. And so, and you just said you have this sort of this little conflict going on about podcasting versus radio. So what's your thoughts on that? Uh, okay. Cut me off whenever I could go about this. I could go on and on and on. I have time. Um, okay, cool. (laughs) So there's this, um, I have this like miniature rant that I like to go on prefaced by this. Um, have you heard about the Freudian theory of ambivalence? No. Okay. So for the most part, Freudian theories are considered like charming bunk, right? Like many that most of them don't really hold the water anymore, but there is this one Freudian theory that is still pretty sustained today. And I read about this in a, um, economics paper that a friend of mine who's studying at Berkeley sent to me. He was like, I think you'd really enjoy this. And basically the, 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 the theory of, of ambivalence is something that we develop as a child uh, about our parents, that our parents give us everything and they also withhold us from doing a lot. And so we learn to love and hate them in equal parts, mm-hmm. which is the true meaning of ambivalence, like being of two valences, which I used to I used to say ambivalence as a form of like um, uh, apathy, like, oh, I'm ambivalent about it, meaning like I don't care. But I didn't realize that ambivalent means like loving and hating something which is the feeling the so it it used to be thought um that people would come to some sort of like kantian rational conclusion about a person or a job or a city they're living in just you know the longer you spend with this job or this person or this city you would come to some sort of rational conclusion about it you would learn to you would be like yes i like this or no i do not like this right and under this uh, theory of ambivalence, it just means the longer you spend with a person, a job, a city, whatever, you are just going to feel more and more complicated about it. It's like your ambivalence will just grow. Um, I know that feeling exact- well. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I just exactly. left New York to come to North Carolina. And when I was in New York, that's exactly how I felt. I, my yeah. whole life was there. Everything was there. But there was a piece of it that I just hated. I just didn't like it anymore. And I wanted to get away from it. But there was absolutely those two extremes happening. Uh, And still, I'm still there because I literally just moved a few days ago. Uh, I totally felt that. Exactly. And and I feel like we're just destined to feel that way about absolutely everything in our lives. Because if you choose a path, it naturally excludes you from all other paths you could be taking. um, And all the, you know, multiple ways your life could go. So, of course, we're going to have anxiety about like, oh, could we be doing, you know, something else, even if you love the thing you're doing. Um, and it's crazy cause yeah, I think we all know that feeling and the fact that we don't use that most, I don't know about most people, but the fact that I didn't know the proper meaning of that word, 
uh, means that we're not using it enough. Like we should be able to say, oh, I'm just feeling really ambivalent. Right. And, uh, and we always ask people like, do you like this thing? Do you dislike this thing? And, and really our feelings are very complicated. So this is kind of how I feel about podcasting because I, 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 I love it so much. And I mean, my God, it's, I, I, it's produced some of the most extraordinary art. It's made me laugh. It's made me cry. It makes me a more patient person when I need to wait for the bus or I need to take the dog out for a walk. It makes me learn more about the world. It has elevated so many unexpected voices who wouldn't otherwise be able to rise through traditional media. Um, it has pushed the sound of our news and what news announcers can sound like, that they can sound like normal people. Like, don't get me wrong. Podcasting is amazing. Like, I love, love, love podcasting. But one thing I will say is uh, the reason I was initially attracted to radio was that it was so communal. You know, it was, it was talking to people where you live. And one of my favorite things to listen to on WNYC was the Brian Lehrer show. And sometimes he'd open up the phone lines and just be like, New York, tell me what's outside your window. And people would just call in, you know, and you could just hear your, your, your fellow citizen. And it was, um, there was no hierarchy in it. You could just open the phone lines and suddenly you were on the radio. Right. And there was also no ego in it because um, there used to be that thing of like, oh, I wonder what my favorite NPR hosts sound like. I'll never know. Um, it, it, it literally, you know, some of the, some of the most avid radio listeners are uh, prisoners who can't get media any other way. And um, it just transcends borders and boundaries and really unites people and at the same time is extremely egoless. There's no, um, there's a, a disembodied voice and a personality, but you don't need to know what anyone looks like. And it wasn't really about promoting themselves, which I think is something that's really changed with podcasting yeah. where people are absolutely trying to build a brand, build a name. Um, and you can't do call-in shows anymore. Um, you have to listen to everything extremely closely. And as a creator, it's also podcasts are amazing because um, there's no time limit. You don't have to work around a broad a broadcast broadcast clock. You can make something as long or as short as you want it to be. Yep. So it's amazing in that regard. But in some ways, also with radio, the fact that it had to be in a certain time limit, it had to be every day. Um, you were just kind of like moving at a different pace. Everything wasn't so precious. It didn't have to be this like fine work of art. It was about getting information out there to people. Um, so, you know, in a dream world, I do think there's space for both. Um, and, and terrestrial podcasting isn't going anywhere right now. It's still, you know, so much more popular than podcasting. Um, but they're both so precious to me. So, so, so precious to me. And I tweeted about this the other day and I think it, it got traction, but I wish someone would design an app for podcasts that works like a radio where you could yeah. dial in. I and like maybe hear the middle of something. Yeah. yeah. And get that element of uh, kismet in yeah. there. Um, you know, so, so, so I feel, um, and yeah, that what you were saying about, um, I, and I think in our fractured media landscape where it's so easy to just listen to exactly what you want to listen to, it's very fun to be on the radio and hear about something I would have never clicked play on myself. Um, whether it's because I'm just tired of hearing about the news or I don't think I'm interested in, say, sports. Um, it's just 
it has that element of serendipity that I think we're all bemoaning uh, in our echo chambers of Twitter and Facebook, et cetera. Um, the radio is really an amazing, amazing forum. I mean, I even love to listen to, um, when I house it for a friend who has XM, I love listening to Howard Stern, like yeah. any kind of radio is um, just so, so interesting. And to also, especially with Howard Stern, to like watch someone hold court and hold a conversation in real right, time for right. many hours. Um, it's just different than, than in a podcast, you know? Do you think it has a future though? I mean, you said, you said it's not going anywhere, anywhere soon, but is it really, is it, is it going to have a future or will it eventually die? I think it will eventually die, but I think that will be later down, down, down the road. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I think outside of the bubbles where people, you know, commute to work on public transit with their headphones on, um, it's the radio. Yeah, yeah, and it, and it's free. It's one hundred percent free. Right? Exactly. All, all you need right. is a radio. That's the best part. You exactly. Know, it's, it's free over the air. So as long as you have, you know, you can you can tune into that frequency. You can listen to it. You don't need a computer. Right. You don't need an iPhone. You don't need any sort of special software. All you need is a receiver and you can hear it. We will be right back to our conversation after this quick break to say thank you to our platform sponsors here at Entree Architect, Gusto, Arcat, and FreshBooks. If you own a business or know someone who does, you probably know that us small firm business owners, we wear a lot of hats. And some of those hats are totally great, but some like filing taxes and running payroll, not so great. That's where Gusto comes in. Gusto makes payroll, taxes, and HR actually easy for small businesses. Fast, simple payroll processing benefits and simple management tools all in one place. Gusto automatically pays and files your federal, state, and local taxes so you don't have to worry about it. Plus, they make it easy to add on health benefits and even 401ks for your team. Those old school clunky payroll providers just weren't built for the way modern small businesses work, but Gusto is. So let Gusto wear one of your many hats. You have better things to do. Listeners to the Entree Architect podcast get three months free when they run their first payroll. Try a demo and see for yourself at entrearchitect.com slash Gusto. That's entrearchitect.com slash G-U-S-T-O. The weather is beautiful, the pool is open, and the grill is on. It's summertime. And the last thing you want to do is to spend a long day in the office wrestling with broken files and archaic websites. RCAT, our friends at RCAT, can help you save time by putting all the building products you need in one powerful search engine. RCAT.com isn't just a list of products, however, they also host the product's technical data, like BIM and CAD files, for you to download and use for your project. And to top it all off, it's free. It's free to use as much as you want. You don't even need to register. No email, no anything, just go there. You can download whatever you want, as much as you want, and it's free. So stop watching the sun go down in the office, trying to find the right information. Build better content with RCAT.com. That's RCAT, A-R-C-A-T dot com. Do you remember when you started your small firm? 
it was no small feat. It took lots of late nights, early mornings, and maybe even the occasional all-nighter. Bottom line, you've been busy, insanely busy, ever since. So why not make things a little bit easier? Well, our friends at FreshBooks have the solution. FreshBooks invoicing and accounting software is designed specifically for small business owners. It's simple, intuitive, and it keeps you way more organized than the dusty shoebox filled with crumpled receipts. Create and send professional-looking invoices in 30 seconds and then get them paid two times faster with automated online payments. File expenses even quicker and keep them perfectly organized for tax time. And the best part, FreshBooks grows alongside your business, so you'll always have the tools that you need when you need them without ever having to learn the ins and outs of accounting. Join the 24 million people who've used FreshBooks. Try it for free for 30 days. That's free for 30 days. No catch, no credit card. Free. 30 days. Visit entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks. That's entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks and enter Entree Architect in the How Did You Hear About Us section to get started. Gusto, RCAT, and FreshBooks. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. I always, you know, I always thought that, that radio was going to die relatively soon. And, and, and that's probably because of the bubble that I was living in in New York, um, that, or, or my own bubble, you know, being very yeah. involved in the internet, you know, building a business and building a community and building, you know, real French re- friendships and, and, and relationships online through the Entree Architect community. Right. My world is online, you know, that, that mm-hmm. po- and, and because I listen to only podcasts, um, you know, that, uh, I always felt that the radio probably had a very short life, that it's, that it's not going to be around for very much longer. And probably because of the way I was, you know, the way I'm reacting to it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I think I felt the same way as well. Um, but of course my, my dad, who is, uh, like captain of media is always sending me these reports <laughs> about how terrestrial radio is still still king. I mean, podcasts creep up significantly, you know, every year more and a higher and higher percentage of Americans listen to podcasts, but it's still, God, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm forgetting the last number, but it was something along like 30 ish percent of Americans listen to podcasts, you know, which is, which is more than I could have ever thought possible back in the days when I was asking around if people listen to podcasts, but that's still, you know, it can't compare to radio just yet. Yeah. That happened very quickly. But it's still right. very small. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, so what what is your role at ninety nine PI? So you're a staff producer, but what what do you actually do there? What is what's your job? So I make stories. I find stories. I interview people for stories. I write stories. Um, I voice stories. Um, I edit freelancers sometimes. Um, these days, I'm mostly working on articles of interest, which is my own little spinoff show that you mentioned. Um, but yeah, I, I make stories. So, so for 99 PI, you're, you're, when you, so some of the episodes that, that 99 PI, uh, uh, broadcast, I guess they don't broadcast them on podcasting. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so when they, when they, uh, published a podcast, that story 
potentially was brought to to them by you, and you've written the words that they're reading and the story line, the arc that's happening in that in that podcast episode. That's your role. That's what you're doing there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Usually, if you hear my voice, it's my story. But sometimes, yeah. um, you know, everything here is a real team effort. We edit all of our stories. Although right now I'm kind of doing my own thing with articles of interest, but usually with 99PI, you know, we edit everything collectively. We sit down and we go through the script like line by line, really suss it out, have these long meetings. So there's a little bit of everyone, everyone in the show is involved in everything to some degree. Um, and, you know, even for the episodes that are just Roman's voice, there's, uh, sometimes a producer, who uh, helps him prep and book the guests and um, prepare notes and lay out the tape. I mean, there's so, as you know, there's so many steps involved in making a podcast, especially one where we feature, you know, any number of voices, an episode. Um, so it's kind of an all hands on deck thing. Yeah. And I mean, the 99 PI is super edited, right? I mean, it's, it's very produced. Um, yeah. And so it's interesting. You're doing that. You're doing that. So you basically... When are you doing it like a TV show where you're sort of you bring a story to the to the group and you sit in a room and you sort of talk through the story and say, oh, that's good. That's bad. That's good. You know, change this, change that. And then you go record it and then you listen to it and then you together chop it up and cut it up and say this stays, this goes. Let's do more of that. Come back and with some more. Is that how it works? Yeah, kind of. So there's a lot of autonomy here uh, at 99PI, which I think is uh, makes a lot of, is a, is a great breeding ground for creativity, but basically, you know, producers, God, how many of us are there now? I feel like our staff has grown, you know, when we started, it was just me and one other producer and Roman, you know, we were like three people in a corner. And now I remember remember those days. Yeah. Oh my God. You're, you're, you're the real deal. You're the real deal, Mark. Um, trying to think, okay, how many there's, there's, I'm going to forget someone. Okay. I'm, I was like, about to count them off, but I'm, I'm so worried I'm going to forget someone. But we have like 14 people on staff now, and I'd say one, two, three, four, five. They're like six-ish, seven-ish uh, producers. Yeah. Um, and we research the, so we, we go out and find a story and we research a topic and then we write it up as a pitch and we bring it to the group and we pitch the group and we say, what about the story? And the group either says, that's a great idea, go for it. Or they say, um, what about X, Y, Z? Not sure about this. Either go back and repitch it or find a new angle or no. Um, and then once you get the yes, it's just kind of off to the races. Like, the producers on their own, um, reaching out to guests, booking interviews, reading, 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 reading lots of books. And, um, I like to interview about, I like to interview a lot of people at minimum four people an episode. And ideally I like to go, I don't think this is true for necessarily everyone on staff, but I like to go to people's houses um, is my, is my preferred method of, of talking to people. Cause you never know when someone is going to have 
you know, mementos or artifacts that pertain to the story lying around their house in some way. And then you can go look at them together or, um, you know, and by just meeting them in a place where they feel comfortable and seeing the way they've decorated, the way they live, it really says a lot about them. Um, so that's my favorite thing, like going to someone's home or office. And so if I have two experts I'm considering talking to, I will always choose the closest, um, or the one that I can get to most easily. Um, and then I do this stupid thing. Again, this doesn't apply to every architect. This doesn't apply to every producer on staff, but I transcribe all of my interviews by hand and there's a robot that can transcribe it for you. But I really don't like to do that because I feel like you're going to find a way to procrastinate anyway. Like you're just going to not feel like digging right through these interviews right after you've done them. So by transcribing them myself, it takes forever. It's super boring, but it's a real way to process the tape. Yeah. Yeah. And build in that, that. exact and like build in that buffer time. I mean, it takes a long time, but I think it's time that I would otherwise spend trying to find other ways to goof off. Yeah. And with this, it's a way to let my mind rest a little bit, do this kind of busy work and start really thinking about the story. And right. while I'm thinking about the story, I also love to talk to people about the story. Every time I'm at a party or something, it's funny. People are like, can you stop talking about work? But I love like <laughs> what, what I when I I mean, this is probably unhealthy. I'm like, my work is my life. But when I'm interested in something, I want to make work about it. Um, so I always practice telling stories to people and seeing what they're interested in. Um, which really helps me tell it on the radio if I can understand how I would tell it to another person. So after some, you know, this, after this long process of transcribing everything by hand and talking to people at parties, by the time it, uh, I'm ready to write the script and I work completely on paper, um, I have the whole thing pretty much written in my head and I can just that like write it all out. And I write it all out and it's way too long and it's usually messy. And then I bring it to uh, one of the editors on staff, uh, gives me an edit. We do a little back and forth. Then I lay out the tape. Then I present it to the whole group. Then we do a listen through together, get in-depth notes on that, make some more changes, do another listen through. Um, oh, and in between then it goes to a fact checker, get the fact check back, change, 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 change things around, um, take it to our composer who we have on staff, Sean. Uh, Sean's incredible. And then, um, then give it to Sharif who does our final mixing and mastering. And then we do one final listen to, to make sure we didn't, you know, mess up anything or if there's any weird errant noises in there or something. Or you, you do that as a group too, that final listen? Yeah. Roman will just post the, um, the file on Slack and be like, okay, mm-hmm. listen to, and then everybody listen listens to, to it independently. Everybody listens to it independently. And we, um, give our note. That's for like the more final polished versions. And we all give our notes. And then once everyone approves it and final changes are made, it goes out and we do that every damn week. <laughs> and how, how long does that take? Just one week you have to do that whole process? No, 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 no. I think all of us have like a bunch of different irons in the fire at right. any one time, but I'd yeah, say to make one story. more time. Yeah. So yeah, how long yeah. does it take to do one show like that? How long would it take from the, the initial idea to the, to the audio that we're listening to on the podcast? I mean, it depends. I would say fast. If you do it fast, it's a month. Mm-hmm. Um, or sometimes we do one person interviews. Uh, those shows are relatively quick turnaround, but you still, you know, if you want it to be a good interview, you still have to read the book and, you know, do the research and structure the interview. 
Um, so I'd say that would be more like uh, two to three weeks. But yeah, there's nothing quite like a quick, quick, quick uh, yeah. turnaround. Yeah, that's why and, it's so good. I mean, that's why it's so it sounds so good because it takes so oh, much time to you. go through that. Yeah, and and I think it also comes from the time of just being able to sit with our subjects and really, really think about them. Um, and then like for articles of interest, the series I do about fashion, that timeline is totally different because yeah, I'm working. That was my on next this. question. Is it, is it ah. the same for nice try and articles of interest? Is it, is it the same type of process? So articles is very much a labor of love and I work on the pieces over a long period of time, but all at the same time, which is lovely because it helps me draw connections, uh, in between the stories. And so, you know, I'm going to New York in August and I'm doing interviews for four different episodes while I'm there, uh, just all at the same time. And I'm reading a bunch of different books just all at the same time. Um, and so it all kind of collectively percolates. And um, so it's not as efficient, but um, it certainly helps, helps the thing cohere like a thesis and for Nice Try, that was a totally different thing because Curbed reached out to me and asked if I wanted to host the series on Utopias. And I love Curbed and I love Utopias. So the answer was obvious to me. And that was really amazing because there's a whole team of extraordinarily talented people in New York who are working on the show. So I would basically read a couple books per episode, do maybe two to three interviews per episode, and then other producers would do the rest. And I would send them the tape and they would create, they would craft an outline of a script, like a rough outline, a rough and too long outline, and then would hand it back to me. This was um, Megan Kinane and Diana Buds. They're amazing. They, they would work together to research the story idea, find who to talk to. I would talk to them. I'd send them the tape. They would lay it all out in a script or not in a, in a rough outline and then send me the outline and I would flesh it out into a script to like use uh, and structure it in a way that I liked and use language I liked. And then I sent it to an editor and then, um, but yeah, then all of the production, all of the laying out of the tape, all of the final listens and finessing, like Vox did all of that, which was kind of weird for me. Like I'm, I'm used to <laughs> right. being on the finicky producer side yeah. and it was weird to be like, I have no idea what this will sound like. I don't know what the music will be. And I mean, that said, they did a, they did a great job. I'm really pleased with the way it turned out, but it was really, uh, kind of strange. Um, you, were you ambivalent about that? Ah, huh. um, <laughs> Initially, I think I, I was, I'm, I'm used to being like really, 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 you know, mega controlling about everything, right. but in a weird way, it was also very nice because they're insanely talented people yeah. at Curbed and it was really fun to, to work with them. And, um, you know, it got me interested in topics that I don't think I would have ever discovered on my own. Um, and so it did help me kind of let go about, of whatever my my vision, what I wanted it to be. Yeah. And, um, it was a really cool experience and we did it so fast. We made that podcast in like four months, um, which is insane. And that's, and that's I, a series as well, right? That's not an ongoing thing, right? Yeah. It's just seven, uh, seven episodes for the season. And, uh, yeah, it's totally, it, it was, Everyone was really pooped and really exhausted by the end, but I think they did such an extraordinary job. I'm just proud. And of course, I think it's what they say about pregnancy, you know, that women, uh, the people who give birth 
forget the pain they went through right. yep. <laughs> and are just like, isn't it amazing? So now I'm forgetting all of that. Uh, you know, it was a real scramble to get these all done while I was working for 99 PI. I would like wake up early, do interviews, um, for the Vox show, go to my job, come home from my job, prepare for interviews the following morning for Vox. It was crazy. It was a really, really wild time. But of course now I'm like, Oh, I'm just so proud of it. It's so great. <laughs> um, do you, but, and, and not to make it not true. I am proud of it, but <laughs> it's easy to forget. Yeah, exactly. Anything that takes, that takes a lot of effort, anything that, that has that level of quality and creativity takes a lot of time and effort and pain to get it there. And when it's all done, much like architecture, you know, when you create a building yes. and, and the and the final product is built and everybody's patting you on the back on how wonderful this building is in this environment that you've created, uh, you forget about all the pain that you've been through to get there uh, and all the sacrifices both, you know, in, in your life as well as you did you know, the sacrifices that you you've gone through to create the, the piece that you've built. Um, I can yes. relate to that. I also, as you were talking about um, doing the transcript by hand, I was thinking, you know, in architecture, you know, for us, we do residential work and we do um, the we do full drawings of the existing houses that we do additions and renovations to, and we could wow. easily, you know, hire somebody to go in and do that. But we do it that labor intensive, tedious work, uh, yes. specifically for the same reason you do it as well, is because. As you're doing it, you're coming up with the ideas for the next step. You know, you're you're yes. you're you're diving into the building. You know every corner, every you know windowsill. You know the depth of it. You've seen it. You've you've documented it. And so by the time you go to design, you know you know that building intimately. And so by doing the transcript, you know that story. You know that person uh, much more intimately by going through that transcript process. That is so true. That is so similar. That's really interesting. And I'm glad to know I'm not alone because sometimes, <laughs> I mean, it's wildly inefficient. It's wildly inefficient. Yeah, I think a but, lot of architects uh, do that initial work specifically for that so they can dive into the, the project earlier and, and those ideas come to life while you're documenting the existing buildings, if you're working with yeah. the existing buildings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So before, oh, that's fascinating. Before we wrap up, I want to know a, a little bit more about the 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 work that you did on stage at AIACon um, was it first of all is that an actual episode that's going to be aired or was that just for the the conference? It's actually an old episode that aired a long time ago, and it features um, and that's a heavily edited version that we performed at AIA. Uh, the real full version features um, our dearly departed Phil Freelon, who I was so privileged to speak with before his. Um, before his recent passing at far too young, but he he was extraordinary. And he was also talking about the legacy of Paul Williams. Um, I don't know when that, what year, I feel like that was like 20, uh, 2017 well, that gonna, that story gonna, came out. We're going to pull that up and we'll put it on the show notes so everybody can listen oh, to, great. to the, uh, to the original, but that was, that was really fantastic. Was, was there a lot of um, rehearsal for that? Or did you sort of just say, okay, we're going to do this and, and go up and do it with the script? Um, a little bit of rehearsal, but honestly, at this point, like Roman and I have been working together yep. uh, in this field for long enough. And you know, what we do professionally is we read, we read from scripts. Like we, we know how to, how to perform a read. 
Um, so, you know, we went over it a couple of times, but it really, um, you know, I'd say the harder part was editing it down from the piece it was before. Um, and also the hardest, the hardest part was getting it. So Sean, our composer was on stage, uh, at AIA con and I think working it out with the live musicians, they had a yeah. lot of work. To do. It was so um, good. It was so good yeah. with the live musicians and the, and the recorded, you know, clips in between. It was fantastic. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, it was very well done. It was so fun to to uh, to watch it happen. Thank you. Um, do you have any other uh, projects that you've planned, or or is um, Articles of Interest what you're working on now? Anything in the future that's happening? Oh, Articles of Interest is what I'm working on right now. Yeah. Any, that's... any sneak peeks on what we're going to be uh, listening to? Because you did you did like punk style and blue jeans and. Hawaiian shirts in the first first series. What's what's coming in the next episode? Can you tell us anything? Um, well, I so I kind of walked away, as you might have been able to tell. I kind of walked away from season one, hating clothes a lot <laughs> and being like furious at fashion. Um, I mean, I'm like livid, and now I don't buy any new clothes. I, I, I or like, and it's not even it's not even like oh. I wish I could, but I don't like, it's disgusting to me. I can't go to a new clothing store mm-hmm. uh, without thinking about how all of this stuff was made and how it will turn over. Um, maybe like smaller boutiques or smaller designers, but like, a, a I, I just can't. Yeah. It, it's really funny. Cause I encountered many people who had said that to me and I was like, yeah, 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 sure. Whatever. But, um, now I feel it very viscerally. So I was trying to think like, oh God, how do you do a show about clothes when you hate clothes? Uh, so season one was about the things that I think we see all around us and take for granted, like plaid and Hawaiian shirts and denim. But I think I want season two. Well, I don't think I know I'm working on this. Season two is going to be about uh, luxury and things we know are important and are perhaps scared of. Oh, that's going to be interesting. When when the, when when do you plan on that to be released? Next year. Next year is going to be a big year for 99PI. It's our 10th anniversary. All right. Well, we'll be watching. We'll be watching. Thank you. So, Avery, before we wrap up, what's uh, what's one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? Uh, okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to throw that at you real quick. I don't know, because I always say this. I always have to say this to architects, like, listen, I'm not an architect. I just play one on the radio, which I love. Like, I love being a novice. Um, And I think, okay, I don't know how applicable this could be to a smaller firm. But here's what I generally say about architects and their messaging. I think a lot of architects are very interested and these larger lofty ideas about, you know, how their work brings people together, creates community, you know, uh, impacts the environment, like these big, big, big things. But I find what's easiest for storytelling, for customers and normal lay people to glom onto is something small. So I, uh, the, the example I always think about is when I went on a tour of the newly redesigned SF MoMA extension, I was lucky enough to get a tour by some of the architects from Snohetta. And, you know, they had all these grand theories about what they were trying to do with the building. But the thing that stuck out the most to me is when they said, touch the handrails. And they were like, 
how amazing is this handrail? And I, I believe the word they use is this handrail is so sexy. They're like, it just fits right in your palm. Isn't it nice? Don't you just want to touch it? And just thinking about little details like that, um, not just the big uh, grand ambitions of this building, but also the small, extremely tactile details. I think that's where the real heart and soul lies. And in our stories in 99PI, we tend to focus on the big issues through the lens of the smaller, mm -hmm. through, through the smaller details. So I, I would say when describing your work or your practice or your ambition, um, start with the small stuff and then use that to illustrate your bigger ideas. That's fantastic. That was perfect. <laughs> oh, great. Cool. I'm glad this can be helpful. Very, very good. Because we're actually in, in the community, we're focused on marketing and sales right now. That's sort of a, an overall uh -huh. theme on the community side. And, that's, and that is exactly what we're teaching, is to clarify yeah. your message, make it very, very clear on what you're trying to, to tell somebody, um, sort of steer away from the arca speak that sort of is something that we uh, tend to do. We sort of want to speak above and higher than our clients. And we need to bring it down and focus on the details and think about that, that, you know, that knob and how it fits in your hand and the details that we've struggled so much with. Um, right, right. So good. Thank you. Oh, great. All right. So subscribe to Nice Try uh, anywhere that you listen to podcasts. You can also subscribe to Articles of Interest. And when the feed is ready to go, it'll pop up on your feed. On your feed. So do that right now. Um, and uh, she's... Truffleman on Twitter, at Truffleman, T-R-U-F-E-L-M-A-N. Um, you can learn more all about Avery Truffleman at 99pi.org or articlesofinterest.club. You can go check out what's happening over there. Um, Avery, this has been a fantastic conversation. So excited to have you on the show. And it was, and it was, it was a very uh, uh, enlightening and exciting conversation. So I appreciate you being here and sharing your knowledge at Entree Architect Podcast. Oh, thank you so much, Mark. Thank you for inviting me. And I'm so happy this could be of any use at all. No, and um, good fantastic. luck with, your, with finishing your move. All right. Thank you. I appreciate it. So there absolutely for sure is an episode to share with your friends. This is episode 281 entrearchitect.com slash episode 281 is the link to share. Go share that with a friend on Twitter, on LinkedIn, on Facebook. Send it by email. Tap your friend on the shoulder in the next cubicle and say, hey, Avery Truffleman from 99% Invisible was on Entre Architect podcast at episode 281. Definitely one to share. Thank you, Avery, for hanging out with us. And if you, my friends, are an entrepreneur architect who runs or owns your own small firm, then you are an entree architect. And I encourage you to go build a better business so you can be a better architect. Love, learn, share. Those are my three rules. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. 
where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders, Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh One that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.